lot of times these recordings that were made from the radio in New York would be you know, sold on the street corner or mailed to a friend down in Atlanta or whatever. And that's how music from the very early days of hip hop was getting spread beyond its, its local reach. You're listening to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. I'm Jennifer Waits, and with me is Eric Klein from Hello, Portland. Everybody. And today we have as our guest the founder of the Hip Hop Radio Archive, Ryan McMichael. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Ryan, it, it was so serendipitous that you were introduced to me recently because behind the scenes here at Radio Survivor, we've been talking about the importance of hip hop history and radio. And I think you've heard on some of our recent podcasts, we've talked about the important role of hip hop in in college radio in particular. So I was excited to learn about this archive that you've started to really try to bring together all these interesting recordings that people have made and saved from the history of hip hop. So maybe if you could just start and tell us a little bit about what exactly the hip hop archive is. Well, I'm going to read directly from my mission statement because I've been working on it since I launched the site last year and tweaking it. I think I finally got it right because I feel like it finally describes the the full uh, the full purpose of the site concisely, more concisely than this lead up does. <laughs> the uh, the Hip Hop Radio Archive aims to digitize, preserve, share, and contextualize recordings of hip hop radio from the 1980s and 1990s from commercial, college, community, and pirate stations of all sizes telling the stories of the shows and the people that made them. And that's really the goal, is to take these two formative decades of radio when radio was a primary way that hip-hop spread new music before the internet was huge, before and in some cases before shows like UMTV Raps were on TV spreading, spreading the sound, uh, hip-hop radio was doing that. And what, what sparked this what was the moment or the idea that made you think that this was really imperative to start this archive? So all throughout my childhood, I was really obsessed with the radio, um, you know, I, which I guess is typical for 80s kids. But I was I was so obsessed that even my my first article that I ever wrote was for a fifth grade school newspaper. And I interviewed Terry Motormouth Young from WCAU in Philadelphia. So I was always obsessed with the radio with radio and the effect that it had. So all throughout my childhood and especially into high school when I could actually afford blank tapes on my own, I was <laughs> recording uh, hip-hop radio shows that I would hear that were based out of Philadelphia and New Jersey area. And back in 2007, I launched, I guess, what could be considered the, the first, uh, first shot at this project with a music blog called Normal Bias where really my, my goal was just to preserve these hundreds of tapes that I had sitting in my basement before they snapped and degraded. Stereo 103.3 WPRB in Princeton. What's up, y'all? And welcome to another chapter in the continuing story of Raw Deal on a Thursday night. Three hours of slam and hip-hop the way it was meant to be done. We got a lot of new music and a lot of special guests. Gee, who we got coming down tonight, man? Who we got coming down? Yeah, man. We got my boy Albie from Tommy Boy, and he's also bringing along with him Prince Rakim and also Naughty by Nature. So stay tuned. Um, so that blog included just sharing of you know, demo tapes, uh, radio shows uh, that I had recorded, my own college radio shows, uh, and things like that. Uh, and that music blog, Normal Bias, 
I put it, just put everything up on things like div share. Uh, didn't really think too much about long-term preservation. Uh, eventually, when all those links that I shared started to die and go away, I started to put things on the Internet Archive, and I uh, realized that it was a little more important to pay attention to the, uh, the, the long-term home for these things. So then in 2015, I launched a spinoff site called rawdealradio.com, which was focused on uh, a radio show out of Princeton, New Jersey that ran from, uh, some, I think it was 88 through about 1993 uh, on WPRB. Uh, originally started as Club Crush, and then they changed their name to Raw Deal. So show them that you kept on and grew. Yeah, I did. This is from a flower. Yes, I'm master. Tang blower on the board. You pass the microphone to the UMC posse and leave me with no... And this was the show that, uh, that I listened to in high school and just stumbled upon when flipping through the dial one night. And it was the show that was most, most formative to me, the music that I listened to. Uh, and even the way that I hosted my own college radio shows, I followed their format pretty closely in the way that they did things and their tone. And during those years, those high school years, I recorded every Thursday night. I was th- I was there recording uh, recording the show, um, including and especially the air breaks, not just the music, because the, the air breaks to me were just as important as the music. Connection ain't click. What my I smack a fish if it don't this is your friend Grover, and when, when I am not with my little friends on Sesame Street, or visiting with my big friend Mr. Rogers, and, and when I am not selling small defensive weapons to the Ayatollah, I come to Princeton, yes I do, and I listen to WPR, what is that last one? B, WPRB in Princeton at 103.3 on your FM dial. Thank you very much. And that was a way I found out personally about a lot of uh, hip-hop that was not airing on commercial Philadelphia or New York stations. Music from uh, Trenton, New Jersey really broke big on WPRB. So, uh, yeah, I made you know dozens and dozens of, of recordings over the years and uh, unfortunately didn't label a lot of them. But <laughs> as, as I started this project of, uh, of Normal Bias and then Raw Deal Radio, which was focused specifically on that show... Um, I really dug in, tried, listened, listened to the episodes start to finish again, tried to date them based on uh, ads and discussions that were happening on the show and music that was being played. Uh, I tagged them with full track listings, uh, worked on tagging each show with the hosts that were in the studio that night as well as any guests, with the goal of trying to make this the, you know, the main place people would go if they wanted to find out about this small little hip-hop show in history. And it, uh, it, it, while it never blew up by any means, it really caught the ear of a lot of people that were, that remembered the show from their past. Um, and so they've enjoyed browsing through the archive. In the process, have you been in contact or, uh, with the hosts that used to do that show? Yes, uh, one of the hosts, uh, uh, G, who actually was also a, a promoter for the Wu-Tang Clan in the early days and uh, throughout the 90s. I keep in touch with him pretty frequently, just talked to him the other night, actually. Um, and he's fully behind the site and has supported it and has been gathering his own uh, soundboard recordings to, to give to me to help fill in the gaps of the archive. Uh, one, one of the other hosts of the show, Tony D, unfortunately, he was a hip-hop producer and MC from Trenton as well. Uh, but he unfortunately passed away in a uh, car accident back in 2010. But he was aware of the, the 
the uh, digitizing that was happening on normal bias, and he was also very excited about it, and we talked a number of times uh, about the process. Um, the third host, uh, EZM, is now a, heading up a uh, design agency in Philadelphia, and he's a little harder to get in contact with, but I think he's aware that the archive exists as well. Ryan McMichael, can you give that archive another plug, please, and, and tell sure. us again specifically what show that was? And why, that, why was it so important? That's a triple question. Okay. Uh, so that the, the site is uh, rawdealradio.com, and that covers uh, Club Crush and Raw Deal, which were just the same show renamed. Um, and it, it was an important show because it, since it aired out of Princeton, it had a reach to both New York and Philadelphia, but was breaking a lot of the music that New York and Philadelphia stations weren't. Philadelphia radio at the time was not really interested in New Jersey hip-hop, uh, so mm. Trenton and Camden, uh, New Jersey rappers and groups did not really have much of an outlet. Uh, so Club Crush and Raw Deal were the place to go for that. They were the place where they went up and you know did their live on-air freestyles and where they broke new songs and played demos and and all that sort of thing. Um, so it was really important for for that for the Trenton hip hop community, especially because it really helped spread that music a little wider. Uh, and just personally, it was important to me because it introduced me to so much so much music that I wouldn't necessarily have heard uh heard otherwise yeah and you said it was the mid 80s to the 90s right yeah i want to say uh, i think they started in either 87 or 88 and uh, ran until about 1993 thank you so it's interesting um, you mention the freestyles because i would imagine that when you're looking at archives of hip-hop radio shows that's going to be a hallmark of that is that you're going to have some of these live freestyles happening um is that does that comprise a lot of what you have in the archive? Yeah, um, those are my favorite things to come across because, you know, the music that they play, you can, for the most part, you can get anywhere or with a little bit of searching. But those those freestyles were, you know, singular moments in time um, and were only captured by the luck of somebody at home hitting record or uh, the DJ in the studio making sure that they had a tape running as well. Um, so, yeah, th those are definitely the most some of the most fun moments especially when you get artists that uh, are coming up really early in their careers uh you, coming back to club crush and raw deal again they were one of the first if not the first show to uh to feature wu-tang um and so they came up and you know rizzo when he was still known as prince rakim was doing was doing on air freestyles you know before protect your neck was uh, Imagine to yourself and make the picture clear. Boy, girl, sit your waist and no one else is there. He invited her over to come and dine. The fool wasn't ready, but she was on time. Hearing that stuff and then seeing them blow up worldwide a couple years later was, you know, is, is really interesting. And it's fun looking back to track that uh, with other artists and other shows, seeing different areas of the country and of the world where people that were not known at the time were coming on and battling or freestyling. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they were uh, household names. So we might we might have some listeners who aren't as familiar with hip hop. Could you explain a little bit what a freestyle is and what a rap battle is? Uh, so a freestyle can be people take it a, a couple different ways. Um, some people define a freestyle as a, a strictly off the top of the head uh, rhyme uh, that's made up on the spot. Uh, others will uh, also include um, spontaneous rhymes, but that may have been pre-written or uh, from 
unreleased songs, perhaps. Sometimes uh, MCs would come up to shows and would try out new verses on the air to kind of see how they went over uh, and then tweak them a, a bit more before they would go and record them in the studio. Uh, and rap battles uh, would just are exactly what they sound like. They're, you know, MCs going at each other on the air. Um, and you mentioned the one uh, from Chicago with, with uh, Kanye and Common uh, from... Uh, uh, I'm blanking oh, on which w, station that yeah, was. Oh, yeah, WHPK, yeah, University right. yeah. of Chicago. So on, a, on a previous episode of Radio Survivor, we uh, we couldn't stop talking about this particular rap battle on WHPK. Right, right, and that, and that's a good example. Um, and another another big one was uh, on the the Wake Up Show with uh, with Sway and King Tech uh, out in San Francisco there um, back in the mid '90s with uh, the hieroglyphics and the Hobo Junction. Um, <laughs> they were two local crews there, and they had one of the most vicious battles that I think I've ever heard on the radio because it was it was personal at that point, and, and that, that battle went down as, as legendary, and that actually brought to the forefront of what the definition of freestyle is because one MC came with, uh, or one set of MCs came freestyling off the top of their head, and the other uh, was supposedly coming with more written rhymes, and that was a, a contentious moment in the battle itself as well. Oh, <laughs> uh, so is hope- that sort of against the rules to come with pre-written rhymes if you're having a rap battle? Uh, it's arguable either way. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah. Us- and- usually, usually it comes down to there's some there's a mixture, so you always want to be a, you're going to have some ideas in your head, but they may not take full form until you're actually in the moment. That tends to be usually how it goes down. And I, I hope we can get the links in the show notes to those uh, those two uh, particular battles where you know where artists are trading verses, um, sometimes politely and sometimes uh, aggressively at each other. Uh, link in the show notes on radiosurvivor.com. So, so so Ryan, I'm I'm mm-hmm. so um, I'm so interested in this idea of you listening to all these shows from WPRB and then going off to college and starting your own hip hop radio show. Can, can you explain where you went to college and, and the type of show you did and what the scene was like in that community? Sure. Um, so I went to Mary Washington college, which is now the university of Mary Washington down in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And they had a, uh, they have a radio station WMWC that's been around since the, I want to say the late 1950s. Um, it started off as an AM station. And uh, by the time I got there in 1994, it was uh, still broadcasting over AM, but most of the transmitters had been eaten by r- rats and mice. And <laughs> the I got more of a listenership of my freshman year show by turning the speakers uh, out facing campus walk than I did from actual listeners over the radio. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's a common trick in college radio, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, you gotta the the real deal is to get to get your speakers uh, in the um, in the food court, you know, commons. Like yeah, dining hall. Room. Dining it's hall. Key. Yeah. Key. Yeah. We, they, uh, they, they did have the radio eventually when we moved to cable FM and radiating cable, which came before the uh, the internet radio that they uh, set up. The uh, the dining hall did have it, uh, okay. but it was always a battle of getting them to keep it on and not change it to WPGC or something like that. Can I can I stop you there and ask you what radiating? Did you say radiating cable? Radiating cable, yeah. It was a it was a, an interesting technology that existed in the mid '90s that allowed uh, small stations to broadcast over 
an FM frequency without getting an FM license. Okay. Uh, so essentially it connected through the, the university's cable system, but there were adapters that you could get to hook it up to your receiver or your boom box or whatever, and then you could actually dial in the station as a normal FM station. Is uh, this but carrier it, current, Jennifer? Carrier current is uh, generally AM. Okay. But, but this know, would all qualify under Part 15 rules, which you know allows yeah. you to broadcast within a limited area. This is... This is where I wish I had mentioned at the top of the show that Paul Reismandel, regular host of Radio Survivor, is not with us today. But uh, I'm sure he'll have something to say about uh, uh, what was it? Um, bleeding, radiating uh, cable, radiating. Why do I want to yeah. bleed it? Uh, radiating <laughs> cable on the next episode of Radio Survivor. I'm not 100 percent sure that's what was it was actually officially called, but that's what yeah. we always referred to it internally well, as. <laughs> that's that's cool. All right. So yeah. what were we talking about? Oh yeah, so uh, so I started. I came in my freshman year and uh, and started a radio show called Sounds from the Attic, uh, which was relatively freeform. But I focused a lot on the the music that I enjoyed the most. Uh, I had a partner during the first half of that year, so it was also a little mix of what he enjoyed as well. So it was hip hop and reggae and and jazz and uh, some blues and things like that. Um, and uh, there was at. At Mary Washington at the time, there was really only one other hip-hop show uh, that was run by uh, a guy named Master Hurricane and his partner, Mr. Midnight. Uh, that was called The Dark Side, and it, that ran kind of in this, during the same years that I ran my shows uh, from uh, 94 through about 98. Um, and eventually at the station, I became a station manager, so uh, I helped try to uh, shift, the, shift the focus to some of the more... Uh, I don't want to say non-traditional, but we were so focused on on indie rock and college rock and you know whatever that entails uh, at at WMWC. I really was trying to push specialty shows that were more you know, jazz focused and hip hop focused and uh, metal things like that. Just trying to get people to expand their expand their repertoires a bit. And were you able to have? Was there a live? Was there a hip hop scene on campus? Were you able to have live? you know, freestyling and rap battles and the sorts of things that you heard on, on WPRB on your show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've, you've been to Fredericksburg, I know to, to visit the station. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not necessarily you walk on that campus and you don't necessarily think hip hop, but there were, I was surprised to find that there were actually a number of, uh, other MCs on campus or that were nearby in the area in the Fredericksburg Stafford area. So we would have, uh, yeah, what we had state enough... are we in? What city? Fredericksburg? This is in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay. Thank you. Kind of civil war town. Um, but uh, yeah, and so, so we would we would occasionally have uh, folks up to the studio. And uh, I would say that in general, our, the quality of our freestyles were not quite on par with what you would hear at, uh, at the larger stations, but we were having fun. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I thought we'd had a... A conversation over email about you had mentioned to me that you felt like some of the larger cities get more attention for their hip hop radio shows. So, you know, that that makes me curious about that, especially in this era you're talking about where people would learn about radio shows through cassette tapes that people had made, you know, before the days of the Internet. That's how you might learn about radio shows in different parts of the country was through this, you know, kind of 
more complicated network of having to tape a show and transmit that tape elsewhere. Could you talk a little bit about uh, why you think hip hop radio, the importance of hip hop radio in smaller communities versus big cities? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think that when you're talk when you're when you're thinking about a group or a a rapper that's coming out of a real small area that's not necessarily near one of the metropolitan areas, being able to get their voice out there is difficult. Uh, even if they have the the money to be able to press up some vinyl or CDs, uh, getting a, a a large station to play them when nobody knows who they are is just not going to happen. So it's it it falls on college and community stations to that are generally more open to local artists and smaller artists uh, to, to help try to break them, to give them a chance to bring them up to the studio for an interview to, you know, let them freestyle on air and debut their music on air. Um, so yeah, it, it's essential for, for, you know, college and community stations uh, through the years to, to help break these artists that would not otherwise be heard. Um, and, and you had mentioned about how the, the, the spread of, the spread of the music comes through the, the the tape trading, especially in the early days, and that was true even you know in the very early days in New York City. It was, you know, it, it was hard outside of New York City to get much in the way of hip hop in music stores. Uh, you know, you, you didn't have that many singles that were hitting on a on a national or international level. So a lot of times these recordings that were made from the radio in New York would be you know sold on the street corner or mailed to a friend down in Atlanta or or, or whatever, and that's how you know, music from the very early days of hip hop was getting spread beyond its its local reach, um, and that it's it's interesting how that keeps coming up even today. Where some of the other collectors that I'm working with on the hip hop radio archive have uh, some of their source material are you know recordings that they've gotten, you know, especially from like the UK. A uh, lot of collectors in in England and uh, in, uh, in London, especially they have these recordings of early New York hip hop shows that they, you know, had purchased over the years and, or had friends send them. And they just, you know, they're the ones that have, that have this history in their hands and they're, you know, on the other side of the ocean. That's uh, amazing. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how the, how, how the recordings spread. Well, that's, that's Ryan McMichael, founder of the Hip Hop Radio Archive, uh, online at hiphopradioarchive.org. You're listening to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein. We're joined also on the line by my co-host, Jennifer Waits. And I, uh, I just, I might need to, to just live in this like idea for a while. The idea of the pre-internet, uh, you know, mixtape underground that preceded your hip hop radio archive on the internet and how there would be no digital archive without this, without this, um, informal cassette tape exchange happening around the world of people who, uh, basically recorded on their cassette tapes, uh, off the radio, one great live hip hop radio show, a live mix of a DJ that also would include, you know, uh, possibly freestyles of live guests, possibly rap battles with live guests, air breaks that you were talking about, which were also fun and important. I'd love to hear you talk more about air breaks, Ryan. Um, but like, what is, <laughs> how did it work? How did this cassette tape underground, did anybody organize anything or was it really just friend to friend, peer to peer file sharing uh, through the US mail and, and international mail? 
Yeah, I mean, I think essentially that's what it was. Uh, I, you know, I, I believe in the. I, I wasn't there to witness it, but I. Yeah. Uh, in, in the early but days, but you were make you were making your own tapes. Did you correct. just keep them at home? Uh, yeah, I mean, by the time wow. by the time I was doing it, it was mostly just just for myself uh, and maybe a couple of friends in the area. We would you know we would each record a lot of the same shows, and you know if one of us missed it, the other one would get it. Um, right. But, you were saying that you were doing that in um, in the Philadelphia and the New Jersey. Uh, region you could pick up uh you could pick up hip-hop radio from both from both uh cities uh yeah well uh, unfortunately i was a little further in south jersey so i was i got philadelphia and and the princeton stations but it it was very rare that i would ever be able to pull in anything from new york city <laughs> yeah north north jersey was able to do that but uh south jersey not so much um but yeah uh it's in the early days, it really was just a lot of kind of word of mouth, passing to friends, uh, you know, selling on the street corner, that kind of thing. Uh, and even once, you know, the Internet started becoming a force in the, you know, in the mid 90s and in college kids that had these tapes, had them, you know, it wasn't sharing the tapes themselves online like we think of now. It was, you know, because the bandwidth wasn't there. Everybody was still using dial up modem. So it was just a, a different place to exchange addresses where can i trade you a copy of this tape for a copy of your tape and and mm. that helped spread those tapes even further uh the the physical the physical copies of the tapes um it really right. wasn't until the i would say probably the mid 2000s that uh or maybe early 2000s when the file sharing services like uh divshare and zshare and rapidshare and all those uh all the various services uh, combined with uh, music forums. And a lot of the trading uh, ended up taking place uh, on music forums where they were previously trading addresses. They were now trading the links to these, these tapes that they were posting. Um, but as mentioned earlier, the, the file sharing services come and go and can disappear at a moment's notice. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that left a lot of dead links in the wake. Um, and that opened the door later for, uh, music blogs where people would end up posting not only their their own digitized tapes but tapes that they might have collected over the years from the music forums so that helped respread those files and ryan mcmichael of hip-hop radio archive can you make the case like why does it matter to have you know the front to back the beginning middle and end of a whole radio show when you know all of these songs i can assume that that are there they we can hear them somewhere else and so why why does it matter to have the the archive of the particular show from the 80s or 90s it it gives you well there are a number of reasons and uh, and unfortunately we don't always necessarily have the the full shows i know i myself sometimes were, was was tight on money so i would cut out songs that i that i <laughs> already had 10 copies of on other sure. episodes there's um, only a certain number of minutes on the tape it might not match up to the number of minutes on the air that's right, and I would always prefer to get get an air break over a song that I already had from from another show. Um, mm -hmm. But if when you can, it's it's important to be able to hear a full episode as it was aired because the the context of where the music was played in the mix really uh, has an effect on how that song hits you. Um, you know, listening to a song by itself is a little different from catching it in the middle of a mix of similar songs of similar tempos where the DJ is building up a certain mood. Um, additionally, you know, a lot of times the DJs on, on these shows were also like, were turntablists and mixtape DJs, not just, you know, not just blending, simply blending songs into each other, but they were, you know, cutting these songs up and doing on-air remixes and taking acapellas and mixing them with instrumentals from other tracks. 
Uh, so you'd get whole different views of, of songs that you had heard before, you know, just by the way that the DJ was playing them, either where in the set they were playing them or how they were, you know, um, how they were cutting and scratching them as they were, as they were playing them. That's really cool. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned the turntablism element of it too. And, and where do you think turntablism and those techniques, you know, was that first heard on, on more underground stations as well, like community and college radio stations? Yeah, you would sometimes hear that in the early days on the on commercial stations, you would you would sometimes hear DJs taking taking some risks. Um, and I think it's always been a little more accepted on hip hop radio, even on commercial stations to be doing that sort of thing. But uh, I think you'd hear the, the real experimentation happening more on the, the college and community stations, especially since they have a little more flexibility in what they're able to play and the version of the song that they're able to play. Um, and they may not have to track the music that they play the exact same way that a commercial station would. Mm-hmm. Right. So I hate to even ask this question because, as Eric knows, I'm always dubious about first claims, you know, about stations saying, <laughs> we're the first to do this, we're the first to do that. But I am curious about if, in all of your research and collecting of tapes, if you can give a sense of where the first hip-hop radio shows happen if you know of particular stations uh particular parts of the country because like i want to follow up on jennifer's question with the idea that i think is true and i want you to either um dissuade me of this notion or agree with me the um that hip-hop was not welcome on commercial radio first that it only that it only got exposed to to listeners via these uh more underground stations uh in the early days Right, right. And what's was generally considered to be the first real all hip hop show was was Mr. Magic's show uh, out of New York City. And he started on on community radio before he moved uh, to a commercial station. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so I I would say that's that's very much, very much true. Um, And what's been interesting in this project is that a lot of the the early New York shows are relatively well known, whether it's Mr. Magic and Marley Marl or DJ Red Alert. Um, uh, the awesome two, all those, all those shows are relatively well known and, you know, their start in the, the early to mid eighties. Um, but something that, uh, that has come to me since I started the archive was coming across shows that I didn't even know about on the other side of the country that were edging towards this hip hop format, mm-hmm. even before I would have ever thought it. Um, for instance, there's, uh, one show out of uh, out of Boulder on uh, community radio KGNU. Uh, that's called the Eclipse Show. Yeah, we gonna catch you on the flip side. Is the Eclipse Show 88.5, and uh, it don't get no better than this. Peace, y'all. So back in, it started back in 1978 as uh, what they labeled as quote an alternative black radio show, where they were covering a lot of uh, music and politics of the day that other stations were not. But even back then in 1978, whenever there was a hip hop song that was coming out, it was finding its way into the mix on the Eclipse show. And eventually, as more and more hip hop became available, the Eclipse show became a, uh, a, full, a full on hip hop show. And what's interesting is that 40 years later, the Eclipse show is still on the air in Boulder. I had never heard of this show. It's been running 40 years as essentially one of the earliest 
hip hop shows and one of the longest running hip hop shows in the world. Oh, wonderful. And you have links, do you have, do you have archives of that on hiphoparchive.org? Yes, we actually do have a few episodes of that. Um, I'm working with uh, DJ AL, um, who is one of the current DJs on the show, and he's been working. I just happened to get in touch with him right as he was starting to digitize these tapes and thinking about how to, how to share them. And so we've uh, formed a partnership, and he's, been, uh, he's posted, I think, three or four full episodes so far uh, uh, to the archives. Can you tell me a little bit more, Ryan McMichael, about like what is a show in 1978 that's starting to turn into a hip hop show sound like? Like what makes it? What's hip hop in 1978? <laughs> um, well, unfortunately, I have not yet heard that episode of, okay. of the Eclipse <laughs> Show, but uh, a lot of people uh, discuss uh, DJs from New York, like Frankie Crocker, as kind of being the the, the forerunners to that, uh, where you know, he's providing the voice and kind of the the atmosphere that was welcoming to, you know, the early hip hop uh, music that was coming out. That was, you know, at the time it was kind of, you know, disco and, and dance oriented, uh, you know, in 78, 79, when Rapper's Delight and, and some of the early Sugar Hill stuff was coming out. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was it was kind of worked in, worked into the, you know, the rest of the, the, the funk and soul and disco that was being played at the time on the radio. Hmm. So, so speaking of kind of this hidden show, could you give us a sense of what is contained in the hip hop radio archive, kind of the breadth of shows um, uh, and where they're located? Is it mostly a certain part of the country? Um, and I, and I, know you, I know you hope it to be bigger than it is currently. So, you know, what yeah. are those plans? Right. Um, so we've got, I'm pretty happy with the, uh, the representation so far, but it definitely has a long way to go. Uh, you know, we, we of course have a, a pretty solid collection of uh, New York City uh, hip hop shows through, from the 80s and 90s. Uh, but uh, I've also made it a point to really try to search out other areas. So we have a uh, thanks to um, collectors in the UK like uh, Irish Craig and DJ Step One. They've provided some really great uh, Tim Westwood tapes, and uh, Tim Westwood started. Uh, one of the first hip hop shows in London and became just a giant name uh, overseas. And so we have uh, shows of his from the, the mid eighties all the way up into the nineties. Um, we have uh, uh, some shows from uh, early Los Angeles radio, including a, uh, some of Dr. Dre's early radio appearances uh, from around 1985, uh, which are really, really good. Dr. Dre's early radio appearances uh, from around 1985, uh, which are really, really good. Dre uh, was playing at the time a lot of the music that you were hearing in New York City uh, in 85, but also you started to hear some of that L.A. electro sound creep in 
so doc so dr dre of nwa uh, fame and and other <laughs> important hip-hop history uh was the dj correct show. correct oh, yeah yeah and what what radio station was that on uh that was on k-day and is that a um, that was a, a th- kind- i want to say 1380 a.m uh and oh. yeah wow I know nothing about K Day, an AM radio station that played hip hop. So was is it a college radio, a community radio, a commercial radio station? You know, I really should know that off the top of yeah. my head. And I we'll, can't remember we'll whether it was a commercial we'll look it or up. A, okay. Sorry, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Ryan with Michael, but we'll we'll look up K Day and, and get back to get back to the listeners. That's amazing. And so you were saying that that you could really hear um uh you know, what you know, Dr. Dre was is playing New York hip-hop music but he's also developing what is becoming uh or about to become known as like a the west coast sound of what hip-hop is, is correct in the 80s. yeah yeah and it, and it really blended really well together um and dre was a wonderful uh, you know an outstanding dj so you know his mixes were were really well worth the time so yeah and you know i've also tried to reach out to uh to a lot of uh college stations and just try to find any, no matter how small the show, I'm, I'm interested in getting uh, representations from around the country and around the world of, uh, of, of different shows. Uh, so, you know, uh, for instance, I have a, a show that I just happened to get from a guy that I met online back in the mid-90s that was uh, recorded uh, on the now defunct or uh, W... <laughs> Sorry, I had to look this up. WESQ from North Carolina uh, Wesleyan College. Uh, it was called Basement Basement Music. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, very small uh, show, and but I feel like it's every bit as essential to have that sort of thing uh, represented alongside the large shows. Yeah, I was going to ask about the South, the U.S. South. Um, yeah, right now the South beyond North Carolina is not really well represented in the archive, but I'm working on that. Uh, I have a uh, hopefully some Atlanta. Uh, based shows uh, coming my way s- soon, um, but we have uh, we have about 350 episodes on the archive at this point, um, and that includes uh, just over a hundred uh, of Leko's Lemma, which was a show that aired out of Boston uh, on WMBR from MIT and WZBC in Boston College. That is part of the University of Massachusetts Boston uh, Hip Hop Radio Collection. Um, they've allowed allowed us to include uh, include those shows in our archive as well. Yeah, I just I just heard about that project. Are, are, I know it's not your project specifically, but are you able to speak to that a little bit? I know that they even just had an event where they had people coming in with hip-hop artifacts um, to a library. Um, what, what's this, Jennifer? Can you put more details to that question for me? Oh, well, I'm hoping Ryan can, because I, I only know sketchy details, but... Yeah, but where it, and what and where? Oh, in Boston. There's a whole okay, hip-hop archive project. Um, yeah, that was a really interesting one, because um, Boston, is a lot of times, is not thought of as a as a real hip-hop center, but there were a number of important acts that came out of there, and a, a lot of them got their start because of this show called Lecco's Lemma, um, mm-hmm. which ran from 1985 till 1988. And uh, fortunately, there was a, uh, a collector named Willie Alexander uh, who recorded almost every single episode, and uh, his tapes found their way to the um, to the University of Massachusetts Boston, and uh, they digitized all of them, uh, got them all online, um, and you know, 
thanks to his generosity, there were, you know, three years of hip hop radio from Boston that would never have been heard otherwise, uh, you know, beyond the, beyond the, uh, the city limits. I love that. We, you're listening to Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein. That's the voice of Ryan McMichael. And Jennifer Waits is also a co-host of Radio Survivor. And Ryan, you just described uh, what to me is like um, the, the Radio Survivor hero of the hero archivist. I want to like promote this archetype where somebody just decides just like deep down in their heart that something is important. You know, no one else in the world might agree, but they're the ones who made the tape and kept the tape and held on to the tape because, you know, it gets more and more uh, important as the years go by how long they held on to the tape and then they share it. Right. And now now that thing that they were the only person in the world that preserved it. Now it's now it's around, uh, you know, and now it's it can be spread again. Uh, It doesn't have to just sort of. um disappear into history and I, I just love that and he, you know that that kind of um amateur archivist they they keep popping up in on our on our radio survivor uh conversations yeah and i think that that type of person is so important because it's i find it's very difficult in any given time to really know what is the best thing to archive there are yeah. you know, obviously people that do this for uh, you know professionally and they you know make very good judgments but i think in a lot of cases particularly when you're talking about uh subcultures it's really difficult to know in the moment uh is this tape that i made last week going to really be all that important 20 years from now who's going to care about it but uh thankfully there are those people that hang on to stuff just in case and are willing to <laughs> fill up their basements with blank unlabeled right. tapes and then return well, to them and uh and and share those so it's good it's a good rule of thumb to trust your own to trust your own taste like if you know it's important and no one agrees with you then that makes it even more important right to be preserved right until you find that other person that agrees with you and when we and thinking about these tendencies if if there are people out there who have tapes of hip-hop radio shows how what's the best way for them to archive them and connect with your hip hop radio archive? Uh, first get in touch, uh, get in touch through the, through the website. Um, or you can just email me at, uh, L A Z E at hip hop radio archive.org. You can email me directly. Um, if people have the methods to digitize their own tapes, uh, that's, that's great. And, uh, I can provide them with a, a, a space to share them. Uh, and, if they don't, I'm also putting the offer out there that I will digitize anybody's tapes uh, for them and mail them back as long as they're willing to let those tapes become a part. Uh, the digitized versions of those tapes become part of the archive. Neat. And how are you? That's a really cool offer, <laughs> first of all. Um, and you've talked about how you're reaching out to certain stations and folks. Um what, what's your process right now for locating the archives that that you most want to find. Right. So I, so I've tried initially to reach out to uh, a few different types of people. Uh, first, uh, from other, well, first my own, my own personal collection, I've made sure to get that all, uh, all digitized and online, uh, as much as possible. But then I started reaching out to other collectors, uh, starting with folks that had music blogs where they were sharing these episodes, but, Mm. uh, now had dead links. Um, 
and then uh, also with the with radio DJs themselves because I think that's really important because uh, I want to get uh, eventually as the as time goes on I want want to get more of the stories behind these shows so I want to make sure to be in touch with the the people to help make make these shows this is not you know I, I'm a fan doing this I'm just trying to help spread the word and help uh, help their legacies be preserved um, right. so I'm reaching out to the DJs themselves uh, as well and uh, so those are those are the the main folks that I'm trying to reach out to and it's it's a lot of a lot of emails a lot of tweets uh, a lot of yes we'll get back to you or yes I'm interested and then not hearing for another three months it's uh, you know it, it's a time-consuming process so so I understand so I just try to be patient but persistent and uh, you know try to uh, let people see what I'm see what we're doing here and and hope that they'll want to be a part of it and help share and preserve their own legacies online. Are there any other kernels of things that you've learned through this process? You know, things that have surprised you. This may be one of those sections where we need to cut out a long blank spot. <laughs> That's okay. And Jennifer's asking about, you know, your work archiving what is mostly community, but also college radio, sometimes even commercial radio, but, um, underground radio of the eighties and nineties, um, where when hip hop uh, really um, was an underground art form, less than the uh, you know uh, worldwide global you know uh, pop phenomenon that it becomes later on. So when when community radio and college radio DJs were really um, growing the art form, and then here are these archives of this of this important moment. Really, you know the only the only possible way we could know in the future that these things happened at all is these tapes that are being made that you make available on hiphopradioarchive.org, Ryan McMichael. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, so, oh, yeah, but, yeah. and yeah, and now your answer to Jennifer's question. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting to listen to what are, uh, what have become, you know, pivotal moments in the culture as they happen. Um, things that we take, uh, take for granted as being classics uh, when they were released. You know, a lot of times you would hear DJs talking trash about songs that went on to become, you know, certified classics or uh, talking trash about other DJs in the area when you know now that they're all, you know, that they're all good friends. So kind of hearing the music as it was debuted and shared in these artists in, in the context of everything else that was going on at the time. Um, and, th and that's one thing that I've tried, that I'm trying to do with the archive is provide a context for these shows as well. So when you're on the, when you're on the page for any given episode, uh, of a show, uh, in the right sidebar, it's going to show you, uh, a list of albums that were coming out within the previous week or two, as well oh. as, uh, other episodes of other shows that aired right around that time. So you can kind of jump around and hear what was happening at the same period in different parts of the country or on different stations. Uh, cause I think kind of hearing that side by side gives you, uh, an idea of how the music is spreading. Um, so, you know, when a song is debuted in the United States, you may not see that same song debuted until several months later in the UK, uh, to a completely different response. So it's interesting to kind of see and listen to the music uh, and the shows in the context of everything else that was going on. Right, which is what you were saying earlier today on today's episode of Radio Survivor, that when you listen to the to the full DJ mix, the, the full radio show as it was presented live when it aired, um, you really get uh, some songs 
I'm going to say in a brand new context, right? Songs that we might be familiar with because they survived the decades and now are considered classic hip hop songs, but in the context that they were played by the DJ who who may have uh, just heard them for the first time that week. Like it's really it's really, it's a it's a unique and important context for that music. Right. Yeah, and especially so. if thinking about this being the pre-internet era, you know, the way things spread was was so different back in those days and mm-hmm. and you could see this movement across the country. So, I'm I'm so excited that you provide that context. I think that yeah. would be a really interesting exercise to listen to shows from different parts of the country from the same period. Right. I I don't know if I this is necessary, but I have to do it. Sort of Eric Klein getting on his grandpa hat. Um, do people realize that hip hop was not uh, universally celebrated when it was first <laughs> a part of the you know underground culture? And my example of that is that when uh, Will Smith of all people, when what was his name, <laughs> DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, when they won their MTV Music Award for hip hop back when the MTV Music Awards were um, really, really, really cool, right? In the, I think, late 80s, early 90s. When they won their first MTV Music Award, it was not even televised. They were given their award, like, earlier than the live MTV TV broadcast because that was how MTV, That's that was where MTV put hip-hop in cultural context, like, hmm. off the air in the morning. That's really interesting. I had I had forgotten about that. It's kind of giving it the uh, like uh, the Academy Awards equivalent of you know best grip or something like that, where it was yeah, just not it, not considered part of the main the main show. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think it might be impossible for for younger people to know that MTV like didn't think hip hop was important for a long time. Right. It had one show that was um, you know ghettoized really. What's uh, to give a, a radio version of uh, example of this? Um, when I, I remember when I was listening back to to Raw Deal in the early '90s, that at the time they were taking a lot of shots at uh, one of the commercial stations in Philadelphia that uh, was, for lack of a better term, you know, the, the urban station. They played hip hop, but they played R and B, and. They uh, they were taking shots at this commercial station because the commercial station was advertising their uh, as a feature that they had a quote no rap workday and this was you know 1991 1992 era um, uh-huh. so this was you know college radio was taking that opportunity to <laughs> point out uh, commercial radio's uh, hesitance to to play hip hop during the day so yeah yeah he- hesitance is putting it lightly <laughs> right exactly open disdain. <laughs> so Ryan, is there is there anything else that that you feel people need to know about the hip hop radio archive? Uh, well, I want to I, I definitely want to make it clear that uh, I personally am not the end all be all of of uh, radio archive and hip hop radio. This is a uh, I'm a fan. I'm doing this uh, to help try to preserve and uh, share the music that. I grew up loving, um, and I, I really hope that as the project moves forward and more people get involved, that we can really uh, that uh, that we can get folks involved that were uh, directly involved with the, the 
the early hip hop radio shows and the forming of the culture. Uh, and so we can have all the important voices that really need to be heard included. Um, you know, we're still in the very early days of this site, um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a team effort with other fans and DJs and, uh, it definitely would not be possible without contributions from others. And, uh, and so I want to make that very clear that this is not a, a one man show by any stretch of the imagination. And it's, uh, it's for everybody. There's no, I, I'm not taking any, uh, any ad money here. This is a, this is not my day job. This is something that's done for the love, as they say. Yeah, I guess, and that's important to add because there's a there's there's a lot of um, there's a long history of exploitation. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to be as as conscious uh, as I can be about having the voices that need to be heard and amplified uh, be a part of the project. And that website is hiphopradioarchive.org, and the founder. That you just heard from is Ryan McMichael. Um, my name is Eric Klein, and also on the Radio Survivor Show is Jennifer Waits. And we're we're about out of time, but Jennifer, you have one last question. Yeah, it, you know, behind the scenes here at Radio Survivor, we've been talking a lot about college radio and hip hop history. So maybe we've talked about it a bit with you, but maybe just you know, in a very in a very quick way, if you could explain why you think college radio is important to the history of hip hop. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, college radio has always been the place where an MC that could not be heard uh, somewhere else can go up and get an interview, get a freestyle on the air, get their new music heard. Uh, and I think even today with, uh, you know, with streaming stations competing with, with uh, satellite stations competing, that college radio and community radio still play that important role for the local community, letting, letting the community hear uh, artists that would not necessarily be heard otherwise. Yeah. Cool. Um, and let's, let's uh, in, the, in the minute that we have left, can you tell us again, like what's another one of your favorites from the archive that you've put up where, where, um, where, con- where you made a connection, right? You've been a lifelong fan, Ryan McMichael of hip hop, uh, you know, starting in your youth in the '80s and '90s and making tapes, like what, what was, what's something recently that you learned from your work, uh, you know, building up your online archive that you didn't know about about hip hop. Um, I th- I would definitely say that it, it goes back to that uh, that show in Boulder really helped show me that uh, hip hop was spreading in so many different parts of the world when. I did not realize that it was there. So there was, you know, there were there was hip hop in uh, throughout Europe and in and throughout the the South and the West of the United States when no one would have been thinking about those areas. Um, and I think that's that's what's been kind of enlightening to me. It was one of those things intellectually I knew, but to kind of to actually hear the hear what was on the air in those spots at the time has really made that clear. That's neat. Yeah. And, and as you were saying, like, as we've been saying this whole episode of Radio Survivor, that's the way it spread was a recorded music, right? You know, vinyl and CDs and, and recorded music. But really, uh, it then it really helped that it was being played on the radio throughout throughout the country and throughout the world. And that that radio show that you're referring to was on KGNU you said it was called the Eclipse Show there in Boulder on KGNU, and that it's still on the air after almost. I think 40? this is their fortieth year. Yeah, 
whoa, we should reach out to those folks for their 40th year anniversary of that <laughs> hip hop show. That's a mental note, Jennifer, mental note. Mental note. Yeah. And I mean, it is, we often say, I'd love to hear more about shows like that, that, that right. we're not aware of. I think there were a lot of shows that were kind of maybe doing similar things around the same time in the early days of hip hop and yeah. and definitely reach out to Radio Survivor and let us know what shows that we need to know about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, email us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com if there are things about community radio, college radio, non-commercial radio, or even underground radio history that you know that we didn't talk about today on this episode. And of course, uh, Ryan McMichael of the Hip Hop Radio Archive, hiphopradioarchive.org, also wants to hear from you. You can find a link to his website in the show notes for today's episode on radiosurvivor.com. Ryan McMichael, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I hope you'll stick with us on the podcast version uh, coming up after the show, and people can hear that on radiosurvivor.com. But for, as far as, as the radio version, uh, we have to go. So thank you so much. Thanks for thank having you. me. I appreciate it. Because party energy is what we generate. We'll prescribe for you. Important elixir. tables, speakers, and the mixer. No is the place. For you to be, to witness Dr. Dre in surgery, he has a PhD in mixology, to cut on the wheel so viciously, boom boom is the beat, to rock the nation, please receive multi-mouth resuscitation, come here please, Losa MC, Dr. Dre operates in surgery. Tricks on the mix 